0: Welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there tuning in with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the Book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you, and if it is, feel free to like it and share it with others. If you'll go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast. You can now get us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others as well. Feel free to contact us there on the website with questions and comments that you may have pertaining to the program today. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8, dealing with the church at Smyrna. Hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to pick it up tonight in verse 8. We'll be dealing with the church at Smyrna. Revelation 2 in verse 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. This is the second church that the Lord addressed here in the book of Revelation. And when the Lord addressed these churches, he called them out by name, and he called them out in a specific order. These were literal churches that really existed. They had problems and things of which needed to be addressed. And the Lord addressed these problems. And he called these churches in a certain order. And I don't think the churches of that particular day and age realized this. We know it today because we can look back in church history and see where this particular church can represent this particular time period, this church can represent this time period, and so on and so forth. And uh, we're going to take a look at some of that tonight. But there's another thing, too, I want to say about this. Uh, Although there was a specific church called, and it could represent a specific period in time, for us to sit here and say that the things the Lord said to that church doesn't apply today. You can't say that because it has a universal meaning for all churches for all of time. So uh, there are churches today that have some issues and problems. And this church here is known as the martyr church. It suffered great persecution. And here in America, we're not suffering persecution like those in China in Africa and other places of the world, uh, but there are some churches that are going through some persecution. Now, Smyrna was a city about 40 miles due north of Ephesus. It was a very wealthy city. It was a place of learning, especially in the field of science and medicine and the city was very uh, highly decorated with flowers and hedges and myrtle trees. It was known as the crown of Asia. And it's funny how the Lord makes that statement there, I will give unto you a crown of life. You can see the connection there. When the Lord said, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life, he is speaking this... To the church in Smyrna, the city that was known as the Crown of Asia due to its ornamentation of flowers and whatever the case. had a lot of beautiful buildings, temples. They had a music center as well as a large stadium for entertainment and that sort of thing. Uh, Smyrna repeatedly sided with Rome throughout its history which earned them special privileges and rights to be a self-governed city. And Smyrna was the first city to build a temple to Tiberius, which was one of the Caesars. They were known for emperor worship. And during the reign of Domitian, he made it mandatory for every citizen of Smyrna to come to the temple and to burn incense to the Godhead of Caesar. Every person in the city was made to do that. And after that, they would be given a certificate and they could go out and live life as usual. But you can see the problem that would create with the Christian community. Because we know Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. All they had to do was take a pinch of incense... And place it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord, and they would go scot free. But a Christian can't do that. Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father, which is in heaven. So you can see the problem that would create. And a lot of the Christians were killed. Because they would not say, they would not deny Jesus and say Caesar is Lord. Now there were some who were released. They were released because they had a lot of property, and they just seized their property. In other words, you've got a lot of goods over here. If you're not going, we're just going to take your property and you're not going to be given the the rights to to work and to support your family. So you can see how this would create a problem in the church. Jesus said, "I know your your works, your tribulation and your poverty. That's the reason why there wasn't a lot of money in the church because those that had survived this Persecution, all their possessions were taken from them. So it was very poor, but Jesus makes the statement, but yet you are rich. They were rich spiritually. They were rich in the things of God. They were rich in the faith, if you will. But a lot of them were killed because they would not say, Caesar, Is Lord. And like I said, this was known as the Martyr Church. Covered a time period from around AD 100 to AD 300. Uh, There is a book known as Fox's Book of Martyrs. And in that book, it records where over five million Christians gave their lives. During this period of time. Smyrna is the martyr church. It covers that particular time period in our church history. And I want you to notice how the Lord addressed this church in verse 8. Unto the angel of church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That points to the cross. Jesus died on Calvary, was buried, and was raised the third day. He said, I was dead, and now I am alive. Actually, what the Lord is saying, I was martyred too. He said, I was martyred, but yet I am alive. He's speaking to a group of people that, more than likely, not too far down the road, they're going to be asked to give their lives. And then he said there in verse 9, I know your works, your tribulations, and your poverty. Like I said, they didn't have a lot of materialistic things, but they were rich in the things of God because he said, uh, you're rich there in verse 9. Now he also makes another statement there in verse 9 pertaining to the Jews. He said, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. But are of the synagogue of Satan. Just because a person says they are Jewish. And maybe they've got some proof of some kind. The Lord does not recognize them as Jews. If they reject Jesus Christ. Just because a person says they're Jewish. And they may have some proof. If they reject Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God does not recognize their claim as being a Jew. Now, if a person rejects Christ, what are they? They're anti-Christ, right? Jesus said, if you ain't for me, then you're against me. And we all know what the Antichrist is. The Antichrist spirit is in the world. And he said, you're of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue was simply a place, a gathering place for worship. If the church or whatever body it is coming together is not coming together under the name of Jesus Christ, recognizing his work on Calvary's cross, as the act that saves mankind from sin, then that gathering is classified by the Lord as a synagogue of Satan. Now, I know that's kind of strong, but that's what the Word says. Now, what you believe will come out in what you do. What you believe will show and come out in what you do. Any church that does not preach and teach Jesus Christ and him crucified as the answer to man's problem. That alone is proof that they don't believe. And if they don't believe, God classifies them as a church of Satan. Now, I know that's a heavy statement. But my question is this, how many churches across this country fall into that category? They are called a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or a Methodist church or whatever you want to put on the door. They call themselves a church, but they have denied Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary, and they're promoting another gospel, and they're promoting other things. And man looks at it and says, it's church, but God said, you are the church. Church of Satan Paul made the statement in Galatians chapter one. If you want to flip over there, Galatians one pick it up in verse six. Paul had this same problem. Galatians one and verse six. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Notice the terminology, another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Don't we see a lot of that going on today? They take The gospel of Jesus Christ and it is perverted in such a way to make you think that if you send them money, then you're going to be blessed. You're going to take the whole thing and they turn it around and they make a money making scheme out of the whole thing. Another gospel. He said, which is not another. There are some that pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he said there in verse 8. But though we or an angel from heaven. Preach any other gospel unto you. Than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before. So say I now again. If any man preach. Any other gospel unto you. That you have received. Let him. Him be accursed. Another gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 17. He said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. That's what the gospel is. Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23, he said, We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Anything else that is preached that does not have Jesus Christ and him crucified as the foundation, God considers it another gospel and another Jesus. And Paul talked about that as well. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul wrote, To Timothy and said, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And any time he used that word, the faith, he's referring to what Jesus did at Calvary. Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So these churches that have denied Jesus now they may get up there, the preacher may get up there and talk about Jesus. He may present to you a rich Jesus, or a healing Jesus, or a psychological Jesus. He may present Jesus in all these different ways, but any time Jesus is separated from his finished work at Calvary, you've got another Jesus that's fostered by another spirit. It is another gospel. And you have a church of Satan. Now, I know that's kind of hard, but that's what the book says. All right. He said there in Revelation 2 in verse 10, getting back to the church at Smyrna. He said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in the prison... That you may be tried. Jesus comes flat out and tells them, you're going to suffer. Jesus knew what was coming down the road. It don't catch God by surprise. He knows what's going to happen. And he told these folks, you are going to suffer. Jesus knew what was coming. Why didn't he deliver them? Think about it. In the book of Daniel, we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were thrown in the fiery furnace, and God delivered them. But there were many that were not delivered. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and God shut the mouths of those lions, and Daniel was delivered. But there was a many a one that was torn apart. And God didn't deliver them. Why is it that God delivers some people but won't deliver others? Why is it that some people, they go through life, it seems like they don't ever have a problem, they got plenty of money, and they just live in life, not a problem in the world, but there's some folks, there's something going on all the time. Why is it? I don't have the answer to that. But Jesus told these people. He said you. Are going to suffer. And I don't know why God. Allows some to suffer. And it seems like others go through life scot free. And don't ever have a problem. But. I do want you to think about this. Sometimes God delivers people through a situation. Sometimes God allows people to go through suffering because he can trust them. Now what do I mean by that? God can trust you to go through a time of sickness and trouble and God can move and work in that situation and it can be a witness to other people and God can trust you to go through that thing and not reject Him and deny Him and grow bitter toward Him and still love God. God can trust you to go through that thing and it's a witness to someone else and it helps somebody else. There's the idea, or we get the idea sometimes, just because a person's going through some suffering and a hard time, we think, well, their faith is just not where it ought to be. That ain't what he said to the church at Smyrna. He said, you're poor, but you're rich. You're rich in the things of God. You're rich in faith. You're rich in spiritual things. But yet, you're going to suffer. Someone has said that faith has to be tested. And great faith has to be tested greatly. Like I said, I don't understand why things happen the way they do. But only God knows. But he told these folks they were going to suffer. He said in verse 10. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now, I want you to think about something. This feel-good gospel that's making the rounds nowadays that says if you quote all the right scriptures and you go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday night and you fast and you pray and you do this and you do that and do the other. You won't never have another problem. If that was true, don't you think that Jesus would have told these folks there in Smyrna? Don't you think he would have told them that? Right right here is the perfect place for Jesus to have said, if you'll quote Romans whatever, whatever, and whatever, and quote it 20 times a day, and pray so much and fast, I'll deliver you. He didn't say that. He said, be thou faithful unto death. But all this other stuff sounds good, don't it? If you'll just memorize that scripture and quote it 20 times and... If that were true, I believe that the Lord would have said something about it right here. All right. Notice in that verse, verse 10, he said, Tribulation, ten days. During this particular time period between 100 A.D. and 300 A.D., there were ten persecutions that came from Rome. There was Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Marcus Aurelius, Severus, Maximinius, Decius, Valerian, Eulerian, and Diocletian. And he was the worst emperor of all. Ten of them during this particular time period. And Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death. That was the word for that church. But see, it's the word for us today as well. See, because I don't believe in once saved, always saved. You've got to remain faithful unto the Lord right on up until you die. It ain't how you start out, it's how you finish the race. Faith is what gets you in, faith is what keeps you in. Be thou faithful unto death. But now I want to present something to you tonight. There were some Christians. The soldiers brought them into the temple... And they were commanded to give worship to Caesar. And they denied the Lord and they gave that worship. They offered the incense. They were given their certificate to go on with life. They denied the Lord. And at some point in time later on, they came back to the church and wanted to come back into the congregation. Now this created a problem. Three schools of thought on this. You had those in the church who said they shouldn't be reinstated back into the church. Irrespective of whether they've repented or not. They should be banned from the church for life. You had that group of people. You had a second group that said, yes, if they've truly repented, we'll reinstate them in the church. But only after a certain period of time and during this certain period of time, they've got to do certain things. And if they go through this regimen, this little list of things, then we'll reinstate them back into the church. Then you had the third group of people in the church that just took their repentance at face value and just let them come on in the church. Now, I'm going to ask this question. How would you vote in a situation like that? How would you feel if somebody in your family had gone into that temple and said, I am not going to give obedience to Caesar, Jesus Christ is Lord. And he had his head or her head was cut off. And they died for their Savior. And yet another church member goes in there and denies the Lord and is given a certificate. Now they want to come back into the church. They get to go scot-free. But yet you're left here with the pain and the sorrow and the headache. It is a a burden on your family now because the breadwinner in the family that was bringing the money in, he's gone. How would you feel? You've lost your loved one, but yet this one over here, they denied the Lord. Now they want to come back in like nothing ever happened. How would you feel? How would you vote Would you vote them back in? Would you kick them out? Or would you say, hey, they need to go through a certain period? What do you think? When it comes to restoration, and I know this is hard to do, but we have to leave our feelings out of it. And we have to do what the Bible says. So what does the Bible have to say about restoring such a person? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. And I know this is not going to say it too well, but I'm just giving you what the book says. Matthew six fourteen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. In Galatians chapter 6, flip over to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible says that if a brother be overtaken in a fault to restore... Such a one. So if that person has repented before God and they've asked God to forgive them, then we as a church are to accept them back into the congregation. Now, I know that don't sit too well. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. All right, verse 11, Revelation 2, verse 11, and we'll close it up. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, he told these people that they were going to suffer and be faithful unto death. He told them they were going to die. But he also said here, if you overcome, if you're faithful unto death, you will not be hurt of the second death. And what is the second death? Revelation twenty verse fourteen tells us what that is. Revelation twenty fourteen and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. In Revelation twenty-one and verse eight. It also tells us what it is. The fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jesus said to this church and to all of us, if you're faithful to me unto death, then you will not be hurt Of the second death, speaking of eternal separation from God in the flames of hell. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.